Blog Talk Radio. Truth. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence by the military-industrial complex. Are the Bible's prophecies today's reality? This could be the sign that signals the return of Christ. World leaders are working behind the curtains. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. Secret societies, secret oaths, secret proceedings. Now, get ready for an hour of truth that will make you think. We'll examine Bible prophecy and see how close we are to the return of Jesus Christ for His church. You're in the zone. Politics, Israel, the Middle East, the revised European superstate, and more. All in the zone. This is the Prophecy Zone with your host, Phil Armstrong. Today, once again, for the next 30 minutes, my name is Christine Wyke, and I will be talking today about the letters to the seven churches. Last week, we went over the first two churches, and I'll kind of summarize a little bit of what we started up last week in this segment of the letters. As I said last time, I would like to group the the letters to the churches in two different segments, two different groups. The first three letters, Ephesus, Smyrna, and Pergamum, I would like, or I interpret them to mean the history of the early church before the Reformation. The last four letters describe the Christians in general. Last week we went through Ephesus being the Church of the Apostles, the very early church from the start of Pentecost. And the second letter, the church to Smyrna, or the letter to the church at Smyrna, that one was the persecuted church. Once uh, the apostles had established the churches, they were intensely persecuted from the time of Nero through the time of Constantine, or up to the time of Constantine. At that time, when Constantine became emperor of Rome, the church changed over. And we discussed as to how that had happened due to the fact that the Roman emperors were pagans and Constantine changed the face of the early church. Excuse me. changed Changed the face of the early church through his conversion of being a Christian. And uh, that is how we come today to the church in Pergamum. We'll start off with Revelation chapter 2, verse 12. To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, These are the words of him who has a sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. 
Yet you remained true to my name. You did not renounce, renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city, where Satan lives. Taking this, these two verses apart, first of all, the words of this letter coming from the mouth of Jesus are sharp. The double-edged sword is not to be interpreted literally as a sword, a steel item that's coming out of Jesus' mouth. The description of the sword here shows us that Jesus is ready to give a tongue lashing to somebody. <clears throat> this is the first time that Jesus shows his anger towards a church for what they have done. The other two letters and some of the other letters <clears throat> that Jesus is mentioning he does speak a little bit of condemnation, but this is the first time that he shows an intense anger. Let's first go to the original church of the letter. Before the time of Christ, the city of Pergamum was a capital of an independent kingdom. Uh, during the time that Revelation was written, it had been conquered by the Romans, and the emperors had turned the city into a political arena where they expected to be worshipped. They were thought of as gods, and they would erect temples in their honor so people would be able to worship them. Now, Antipas was known to be a leader in the early church at Pergamum. His biography shows that he lived during about the same time as John, and since Christ mentions him by name, he must have had a strong influence. Now, what Antipas is best known for in historical writings is that he was martyred for his beliefs. Um, his death was recorded as a horrible one. He was roasted alive inside of a hollowed-out bronze bull. Um, I have found a number of reasons why he was martyred. One of them was that he refused to worship the statue of the emperor, and the other reason was for casting out demons. This is the only letter of the seven that tells of the martyr by name or speaks of a martyr by name. I feel that it is a clue that points us to the church age where the martyrs were killed quite often, not by pagan governments, but by the church of Rome. Now, how did the church evolve to this point? I believe that answer is in the second meaning to the letter at Pergamum. <clears throat> Continue on with verse 14. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who talk Balak to entice, to entice the Israelites to eat sin, to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. Likewise, you have also those who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore. Otherwise, I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Uh, Jesus has one thing here to discuss. Actually, he has a couple things to discuss. Very angry about a couple of issues. The story of Balaam and Balak is recorded in Numbers 22 and 24. Uh, making this a long story short, Balak was a king of the Moabites, a heathen nation who had worshipped the god Baal and was worshipping the god of Baal. The Israelites were camped not far from Moab, and the king of, Balak, Baal, uh, the king of Moab, Balak, was afraid of being conquered. 
So he connects with a man named Balaam. Now, Balaam was like a prophet. He had the power to curse or to bless anyone and anything. Now, Balak decided to have Balaam curse the nation of Israel so they would not advance into his cities and into his territory. It was a strong fear at that time because the Israelites were sweeping across the country towards the promised land, and it was getting to be a known fact that they would be conquering everybody in their way. And the country of Moab was next. As the story goes, Balaam, the prophet Balaam, tries three times to curse Israel. But instead of curses coming out of the mouth of Balaam, blessings came out. And Balaam could not do anything to stop the threat. He offers Balaam, this is where Balak offers Balaam a blank check. Any amount if Balaam would just curse Israel. But Balaam makes the statement, whatever God has blessed, I cannot go against it. So the two devise a different plan. Balaam tells the king of Moab, Balak, to have the young women of Moab, who are very beautiful, to seduce the young men of Israel, who were obviously very vulnerable, and to invite them to the wild parties, feasts, and sacrifices of the god Baal in the cities of Moab. And in chapter 25 tells just how they did that. Not only did the men of Israel go with the women into Moab, they also worshipped the god Baal and ate the food sacrificed to idols. The two things that God made very clear in the rules, you are not supposed to do that. So as a slap in God's face, it adds to the trouble. The men bring back the women to Israel, and all of Israel worships Baal. That's when God cursed Israel, and Balak got what he wanted. That is found in Numbers 31, verse 16. They were the ones who followed Balaam's advice and were the means of turning the Israelites away from the Lord in what happened at Peor, which was in Moab, so that the plague, a plague, was struck upon the Lord's people. The story from the Old Testament is important here because it shows that the same situation that occurred at the time of Balak and Balaam, which is exactly what Jesus is referring to, this same situation is about to happen again with the letters to Pergamum. But now we have to fast forward time to the year 306 A.D. Constantine becomes the new emperor of the Roman Empire. The persecution of the church was extremely severe during the reign of his predecessor, but Constantine was bent on conquest. He was not necessarily interested in persecuting the Christians. And early on in his reign, he had a vision in which he saw a flaming cross, and a voice spoke to him that said, with this sign, conquer. Now, he interprets the vision to mean that if he becomes a Christian, he would conquer all of his enemies 
and acquire more land for the Roman Empire. The two things that Constantine wished for the most. So as a result, in 312 AD, Constantine issues the Edict of Milan. Now this edict, or law, stated that all persecution was to stop. Anyone who professed to be a Christian could no longer be jailed or killed. All property that was taken from the churches or its members had to be given back. You would think, oh, man, this has got to be awesome for the early church. What a blessing. No. It ended up being a curse, and it changed the formation of the early church. Certain changes began right away. Others took a while. But the problem now surfacing in the church was what to do with all the pagans who now had to follow their emperor's religion. And this is where slowly Satan opens the door of opportunity. To make the pagans feel comfortable in their new religion, the leaders of the early church began to mix pagan ideas into their own Christian theology. And the pagans took their old practices along to church with them. Here are some of the changes. Churches began to take over the pagan temples as places of worship. Many of them did not have a place of worship because they were destroyed from the persecution, so it was easy now to move into the pagan temples, and they did that. Stone statues of gods and the emperors were replaced with statues of angels, apostles, Jesus, and many others. Prayers for the dead began. Making the sign of the cross and mass were instituted. These are just a few of the examples of the changes that were never a part of Christianity when the apostles were alive. But now it makes sense why the church became called the Holy Roman Catholic Church. Now the term Catholic here means universal Christian or all Christians combined. So it would be the Holy Roman Emperor or Roman Empire Catholic Christians Combined Church. It is in this letter to the church at Pergamum that Jesus accuses the members of accepting the practices of the Nicolaitans. Now this was first brought up in the letter to the church at Ephesus. The idea of the practices of the Nicolaitans were that they would have a leader rule the entire church, or you would have a leader, like a cult, rule the members. It comes from the words Greek of Nico, which means victory, and Leo, which means people, Nicolaitans, victory over people, by the rule of one person. Constantine had the great ambition to create a large empire. But soon, because it became great, he could no longer govern it in its entirety. The Empire of Rome then got separated into two, the Western Empire and the Eastern Empire. He founded the city of Constantinople at this point in the Eastern Empire, and he ruled from there. Now, in a document called the Donation of Constantine, 
he gives the entire western half of the empire to the bishop of the church. It was at this time now that the leaders of the church started to dress differently than the other members. And many years later, it was the Pope who would be the one who crowned the emperors. Do you now see the idea of the rule of a man over the people? Now, going back to the martyr, Antipas. If Antipas is mentioned as a martyr in the city of Pergamum, how many now were the martyrs in the city of Rome at the hands of the Roman Catholic Church? And if Satan lived in the city of Pergamum, does he also live in Rome? Lord willing, I hope to get to that later on into our segments as we go, as we move through the book of Revelation. Looking at this letter to the church at Pergamum, not all in the letter is negative. Christ praises the church for remaining faithful to him. And from the beginning, the church of Rome never faltered in the belief that Christ was the Son of God and had died and rose again, the very basics of Christianity. And this solid footing of the church that had this solid footing of the church was attacked so many times by the heretics. The Council of Nicaea in 325 AD was created to deal with the heresy of these doctrines, namely the Arian doctrine. The church upheld the deity of Christ then, and the Roman Catholic Church does uphold the deity of Christ today. Revelation 2, verse 17, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give him of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. The manna goes back to the time of the Jews in the desert. Now, manna was a food provided by God to sustain his people in the wilderness. I would think at this point Jesus links this now to himself. Manna was provided for food for the body. Christ is saying here the bread of life to provide for our soul. There is no need for the rituals that were starting to come about now in the in the Roman Catholic Church. The practices that the church started to add the indulgences, the requirements of its members that you had to do things to get your salvation. And this is where Christ is saying, come back to me. I am the bread of life, the manna. Look for the hidden manna. That is what you need, not all these extra activities and rituals. Now, the white stone was a method used in ancient times by the courts. If you were acquitted of a charge against you, you were given a white stone to show your innocence. Now, the white stone here mentioned in Revelation has a name on it. It is possible that we get new names in heaven. Uh, Many people of the Bible did. Saul, for one, was renamed Paul. Now, this letter to the church at Pergamum ends the sole reign of one church. 
During the Reformation and the years that followed, many versions of Christianity sprang up and separated from the Catholic Church. Today we have hundreds of denominations that all claim to be Christian. Even though we have so many different churches, we all still belong to one church, the bride, the body of Christ. This is referred to many times in the New Testament as we are the body of Christ. Each one of us has a part. But I do believe also that each church or each different faith, it's it's like each different, whether you're Protestant, whether you're Lutheran, whether you're Pentecostal, each one of us has a different part. We still remain true to the relationship with Jesus Christ. This is what makes you a member of the body of Christ. It is at this point, past the church of Pergamum, that it no longer becomes an issue of religion, but Christ shows that it's an issue of a relationship with him. And this is where we now move into the church of Thyatira. I can probably get started a little bit here on the church of Thyatira. As we move from the beginnings of the early church, we now move into, I feel, a separate category of churches. This is where I see, and it's my interpretation, this is where I see those, these last four churches, starting with Thyatira, describe the Christian of today. And it's very clear that these do describe the Christians that we see in our community, the Christians that we see around the world, and the Christians that we see right in our own church. Let's start with the Church of Thyatira. I've got a little bit of time to start it. I may not get through it. We will finish it up in the next segment. The Revelation 2, verses 18 and 19. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like a blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance and that you are doing more than you did at first. Again, these words are coming directly from Jesus. But this time, the eyes are mentioned, not the mouth. Jesus is giving this Christian the look, the look of the eyes that are blazing with fire. And this is where I'd like to say it is a look of you know better, and you are in trouble. I would like to describe that look of uh, take yourself back to when you were a kid. Uh, You just got caught hitting a baseball through the neighbor's front window. And your mom and dad meet you at the door because they just got a phone call from the neighbor stating what you have just done. I think you get the feeling. It is a look. You come through the door. Your mother is standing there with her hands on her hips. She doesn't need to say a thing. It is the look in her eyes. It's the, uh, you knew better. What were you thinking 
what have you done? And that is the attitude here that Jesus is projecting towards the church in Thyatira. What are you doing? This is wrong. We need to have a talk. Now, the feet of burnished brass are also mentioned. And I would like to say that I think this would mean that it means Jesus is unmoved by this. There is going to be nothing he is going to compromise. He is not going to budge on this issue. However, he starts out the letter with praise. He is aware of the good things that this person does. He feels the love and the hard work that is done for him. This is something that that person does more and more as it grows with the faith. However, Jesus is going to address the problem. Revelation 2, verse 20. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess by teaching she misleads the servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her upon a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer also, unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now you would think that all the praise in the beginning that was lavished on this person or this Christian, it's gone. There is one thing that Jesus is furious about, and that person or that Christian, this letter to the church of Thyatira, this Christian ought to know better. What is the item? It is the topic of sexual sin. Describing a little bit of the church of Thyatira to give a little bit of background as to why Jesus picks this church for the Christian in, in particular here. Thyatira was comprised of trade guilds. Now, a trade guild was something that when you had a business, you had to belong to a network of other businesses in order to have your own trade accepted. This concept of networking, you would have been connected to another person's trade even if you thought his work was inferior. You would have not been able to separate your own business and go it alone. And that is the idea here of the Christian of today. Jesus is showing us that this Christian does not separate himself from the rest of the world. This Christian goes with the flow of making their Christianity a part of everybody else's Christianity in the world. This is where standing up for what you believe in does not occur. Now, the woman Jezebel could have been an actual person living in Thyatira. I'm assuming that that is probably true. There is also the woman Jezebel mentioned in the Old Testament. Now, she was married to the king of Ahab, King Ahab, who was the king of Israel. She was a worshiper of the god Baal. 
and actually she threatened to take the life of Elijah. She was a very evil queen, but not considered a prophetess. So I do not think it links here to us today to this Old Testament Jezebel. I think it's meant to the word Jezebel today. Now, I'm going to continue with this next week, same time, same place. The woman Jezebel today, what brings to your mind if you would call a woman of today a Jezebel? Definitely a woman with sexual promiscuity. A woman that has low morals, if no morals at all, when it comes to sex. And this is where I feel the Christian has failed horribly in today's culture, the issue of sex. Next week, we're going to talk about how that relates to the bed of suffering. I continue with the Church of Thyatira. My name is Christine White. You can find me on Facebook. My first name, Christine, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-E. And my last name is spelled W-E-I-C-K. I hope you find me on Facebook. I would certainly love to befriend you there. And otherwise, look up Philip Armstrong and his account. I am one of his friends. I have written a book titled Explain This. It is brand new. It's still not in stores. I self-published it, and I'm, I'm working on it. Um, right now it is available through my website at a cheaper price. And my website is explainthis.us. You can also reach me at explainthis at app.net. I thank you once again.